Well, good morning. Uh, I am so glad to be back. I appreciate y'all praying for me and supporting us and our family while I was on sabbatical. It was a great time of both rest and productivity. Uh, Let me just give you a little bit of a preview of what what we're doing this morning, but then also for the next few weeks. This morning, I'm going to wrap up the legacy series that we've been in this summer on Old Testament leaders. We're going to be in the book of Malachi, actually. Uh, If you've got a Bible, uh, get over to Malachi chapter one. It's the last book in the Old Testament, relatively short book. We're going to look at a few verses from the book of Malachi this morning. As we move toward the fall, next week, just a reminder, we'll have two services again. So if you're an 11 o'clock person, you don't have to get up early again next week. Uh, You can come at 11 o'clock and uh, we're going to have an emphasis next week on outreach, how we can be reaching our community, our neighbors, our coworkers for Jesus Christ. And then in two weeks, and I'm really excited about this, maybe as excited or more excited about this than any series that we've done so far, we're going to be in the book of Philippians this fall. Uh, Probably my personal favorite book of the New Testament because of all it tells us about Jesus, about the character of Jesus Christ, the work of Jesus Christ, and how we can orient our lives around knowing him. So that's where we're going to be this fall is in the book of Philippians. This morning, Malachi chapter 1, verses 6 through 14. Uh, This week, as I was preparing and as I was reading the passage, I was reminded of an incident from when I was a kid, maybe seven or eight years old, uh, right around the age when I started to be aware that I should probably buy or get Christmas presents for my family members. And so uh, sometime, I don't know, the week of Christmas, the week before Christmas, it occurred to me that I didn't have a gift for my older brother, Dan. And uh, of course, you know, I was a kid. I didn't have a car. I didn't have a whole lot of money. There was no Amazon back then. I don't know why I didn't think to ask my parents, but uh, I realized I didn't have a gift for him. And so what I did is I went into my room and I thought, I wonder if I can find a gift in my room that will suffice for my brother Dan for Christmas. Uh, So I looked around and I thought, you know, I want something that's kind of cool, but also I want something I'm not going to miss too much, if I'm honest. And so uh, I began to look around and what I found, and uh, this is a true story, it was a toy from a McDonald's Happy Meal that I had gotten at some point, and, and to be fair, it was unopened. I had never used it, right? It was brand new. Now, the flip side of that is I had never used it because I didn't know what it was or what it was supposed to do. Uh, In fact, I texted my brother this week and I said, do you remember this uh, and do you remember what the toy was? And he said, I do remember it. I don't remember what the toy was. He said, because I didn't know what the toy was. He said, neither did you know what the toy was, which is why you gave it to me, thinking that maybe because I was older, I would know what it was and I'd be able to play with it. So uh, I grabbed it. I wrapped it up in Christmas wrapping paper and I placed it under the tree. And on Christmas morning, Dan opened up this uh, Happy Meal toy and he looked at it and he said, what is this that you've given me? And, and, and you know, to, to some extent, you might be thinking, well, that's kind of cute, right? It's the thought that counts. At least you gave him something. Uh, if you ask my brother, he will actually tell you he would rather I had given him nothing 
right? And here's why. Because if I had given him nothing, at least he could go, you know, he just forgot, right? He just kind of forgot. It slipped his mind to get a present. But what this particular gift communicated to him, at least at the time, was that I went into my room and I assessed this. How much is my brother worth? And then I looked around my room and I found the cheapest, most useless item I could find. And I wrapped it up and I gave it to him and I said, here you go, brother. This is what you're worth to me. And so he was offended by the gift. Now we've since worked through it, I think. I don't think there's still lingering resentment. But I thought about that story because in his mind, and I think a lot of us would say this, to some extent, when you give somebody a gift, to some extent you're saying, hey, this is because I value you to some degree or other, right? So if the extent of your gift, and, and, and let's be honest, we've all done it. You're headed to a birthday party and you go, oh my goodness, I don't have a gift. What do I have in my garage? Well, here's something somebody gave me last year. I will re-gift it, right? To some extent, it communicates value. Whether we want it to or not, we're saying, this is how I value you. And to my brother, I was being cheap and I was being lazy because I didn't place a lot of value on our relationship. True or not, that's how he felt. Now, the reason I share that this morning is because I wonder, as I read this passage and as I think about that story in my life, I wonder how many of us approach our relationship with God in really much the same way. Right, So we say, look, my relationship with God, my relationship with Jesus Christ, it's the most important thing in my life. And yet when it comes to how I worship Him, I'm cheap and lazy. So that when I look at the priorities of my life, uh, what I say is my priority doesn't match what I actually do. You know, uh, most of us perhaps would recognize there are a number of ways that you can determine what are your life's priorities, right? One is to look at your calendar. How do I schedule my time? Where do I spend most of my time? Where do I spend the best of my time when I have the most energy? That's going to tell you your priorities. So when I look at my calendar, does it reflect what I say that Jesus Christ is more valuable to me than any person in the universe? The other way is to look at my bank account. What do I spend? So that when I say Jesus Christ is my highest priority, does my bank account and what I spend reflect that or does it reflect some other set of priorities? Can we say, and this is the question we're going to ask this morning as we look at the book of Malachi, can we say that we are worshiping God with the best that we have or do we give him our leftovers? Do I worship God with the best that I have or do I give him the leftovers of my time, of my energy, of my money, of my life? If you are married, you would probably say, I would like to get some of the best of my spouse's time, energy, abilities, and not the leftovers, whatever they can toss to me in the last five minutes of the day. Do we give God the best or do we give him our 
leftovers. When we talk about worship, remember if you were here uh, way back in the Every Knee series back in the spring, you remember we talked a bit about worship and we said, you know, worship is not just when we come into church and we sing and we hear from the scripture. Worship is actually what we do with our lives. It comes from this idea of to declare somebody worthy, right? So when we talk about worship, we're saying anything that I would do with my time, my energy, my money, my abilities, my reason, anything that I would do that would say, God, this is how much God is worth. So do I worship God? When I think about my life, do I worship God with the best that I have or do I give him my leftovers? And then here's why this matters. Because when we worship God with the best that we have, we communicate how worthy he is. When we worship God with the best we have, we communicate how worthy he is. Now, some of you are, are hearing me set up this sermon and you're thinking, man, Matt came back from sabbatical angry. I promise I didn't. But I did come back convicted to ask this question because the reality is I am as susceptible to giving God my leftovers, to approaching God in an apathetic and cheap and lazy way. I'm as susceptible, maybe more susceptible than any person in this room. Because, because my job, I, I spend my days and my weeks surrounded by things that are holy. The word of God, the people of God, God's church. And just like anybody, right, my heart can drift toward apathy, toward laziness, toward cheapness. And here's what I think happens to us. And this is an age-old problem. We'll see this in Malachi this morning. Here's what I think happens to us. You say, you know, it's not that I'm deliberately lazy in my approach to God. It's not that I deliberately only give God the dregs of my time or my money. It's that I'm tired. I'm overwhelmed. And I think if we're honest, here's what we would say, is there are other things in my life that take my time, that take my money, that take my energy. And so we scramble to try to keep up with the other things in our lives that we believe will bring us more joy and meaning and purpose than knowing Jesus Christ. And so we scramble and scramble and we get exhausted. And finally we say, yeah, I know that I should know God because he is the most valuable being in all of the universe, but I'm too tired. I'm too poor now. I don't have anything left. But what we see in the scripture is this that the degree to which we give God the best that we have, the degree to which we say, God, I want to worship you with my life. That's the degree to which we will find real joy and significance and purpose. Because God says, life is found in me. As we look at the book of Malachi this morning, what we see is that this tension we feel, this is an age-old struggle. The book of Malachi, as I mentioned earlier, it's the the final book of the Old Testament written around 450 BC, right? So 450 years before Jesus was born. And what you see going on in the book of Malachi is Malachi is writing to the people of Israel and he's saying, you've become apathetic and lazy 
and cheap in your approach to God. And here's why, because you've forgotten the wonder of all that God has done for you. Now, let me just briefly rehearse the history of the nation of Israel and what God had done for them. Right, this is about a thousand years after the Exodus. Right, what happened at the Exodus? God gathered the people of Israel together under Moses and he led them out of Egypt, out of slavery in Egypt, and he parted the Red Sea. And they walked toward the promised land. And because of their disobedience, remember, they wander for 40 years in the wilderness, but God is faithful and he kept them alive as a nation and he leads them into the promised land and he gives them leaders. And he provides crops and he keeps them alive and he gives them a king. And then he gives them a lot of kings, some of whom are faithful, some of whom are disobedient. And eventually what happens? The nation becomes apathetic toward God and they turn to idols. So they go into exile in Babylon around 600 BC. The people leave the land. In fact, they are kicked off the land, dragged away into Babylon because of their idolatry. But God brings them back. 70 years later, God brings them back. And so now they're establishing. You know what God does for them? He helps them rebuild the temple, rebuild the walls, reestablish their nation. All right, but now here we are, 450 BC. This is maybe 80 or 90 years after they have re-entered the land. They have a temple. They have a priestly system. They have leaders. They have a nation again. And you know what's happened? They've drifted from God. Because already they have forgotten what God did for their grandparents and their great-grandparents. And so they're approaching God with cheap and lazy worship. And so the prophet says, if you want life, if you want the blessing of God on your life, then cheap and lazy worship isn't the path to get there. And so Malachi exhorts them in this passage. And as as I read it, I see so many parallels between the people that Malachi is writing to and and me and us. Because we forget the wonder of God and the power of Jesus Christ. Think of all God has done for us to lead us out of slavery to sin into eternal life. He gave us his son. That's going to be a central theme of the book of Philippians is that Jesus came from heaven all the way to earth, and he humbled himself to die on a cross. He went as low as he could go so we could go up to be with God. And we forget. And so as we move into the fall, this is the question I want us to ask. Do we worship God with the best we have, or do we give him our leftovers? That's what we're going to look at at in Malachi chapter 1. This morning, and, I, and, and my hope is that we'll give a few ideas of how can I worship God? How can I move forward and create a pattern of worshiping God with the best of my life? Right? Not so that I can somehow earn eternal life, because that's a free gift. But because we know the life God wants for us ultimately is found only in Him, not in the things of this world that we chase after. Look at Malachi chapter 1. I'm going to start in verse 6. A son honors his father and a servant his master. And if I am a father, where's my honor? And if I am a master, where is my respect? Says the Lord of hosts to you, O priests who despise my name. But you say, how have we despised your name? You are presenting defiled food upon my altar. But you say, how have we defiled you? In that you say the table of the Lord is to be despised. 
But when you present the blind for sacrifice, is it not evil? And when you present the lame and sick, is it not evil? Why not offer it to your governor? Would he be pleased with you? Or would he receive you kindly, says the Lord of hosts? But now will you not entreat God's favor that he may be gracious to us? With such an offering on your part, will he receive any of you kindly, says the Lord of hosts? Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the gates, that you might not uselessly kindle fire on my altar. I'm not pleased with you, says the Lord of hosts, nor will I accept an offering from you. Here's what Malachi 1, 6 through 10 tells us, first of all. Lazy worship is unacceptable. God says, I won't accept it. Because what you're doing is you're bringing an offering that isn't what I've asked you to bring. An offering from the worst and the cheapest of what you have. Think about it this way for a minute. Men, if you are married and and maybe you go out uh, to the grocery store this afternoon and while you're at the grocery store, you see a few items that you absolutely need, right? Some extra tools for your grill, for example. And there's some, you know, candy that you really like. And so you pick up kind of a month's supply of your favorite candy bar, if you're like me. But then as you're leaving, you think, oh man, I need to get something for my wife, right? Because I have not done anything for her in a while. And so you walk over to the flower area and as you look at the flower area, you see there are beautiful dozen roses, right? Rose dozens. How do you say that? Right? Dozens of, yes, roses. But they're 25 bucks, right? And uh, you've already spent most of your allotment on candy, right? And so you don't have a whole lot left over. So you begin to look and, and there it is. There is a discount bouquet for two ninety nine. Now, half of them are dead, right? But that's okay. They're last week's flowers, but they're on sale and you thought of her, right? So you, you buy them and you bring them home and half of them are dead. They're brown. And you say, here you go. Sweetheart, I have fulfilled my obligation to perform a romantic gesture once every once in a while, right? Now, will that be an acceptable offering? Doubtful, right? Unless she is exceedingly gracious. It's doubtful because she'll say, look, you you found the cheapest and laziest possible option and brought it to me. As we read Malachi chapter 1, that's what we see is going on in the hearts and the minds of God's people. God says, look, I I created you. I led you out of Egypt. I led you out of exile. I gave you the land. And their response is this, that they were providing for God offerings that were blemished, that were damaged, that were not acceptable. And he says, look, if you honor your fathers, doesn't a father deserve honor? Just a human father. Think about it from the standpoint of what has a human father done for you? Hopefully at a minimum, provided a roof over your head and a place to live and food, clothes on your back until you reach adulthood. And he says, doesn't a father deserve honor? He says, then where's my honor? Where's my respect? As you look at the law of Moses, They were supposed to give offerings that were from the first of their flock and from the best of their flock. If you gave a lamb, it was to be an unblemished, a spotless, unblemished lamb with no defect from the first 
born of your flock. Instead, what were they doing? They were bringing those that were blind, those that were lame, those that were blemished, and saying, look, I need the best for me because I need to have a great flock for myself so I can make more money, so I can have a better life. So God, yeah, I've got to make a gesture of worship. So here's what they bring as they say, this is what I've got, God. Take it or leave it. And God says, would you give that to your governor, right? They had to give tribute to the uh, Persian governor. He says, what would your governor say if you brought that offering? But you bring it to me. He says, you know what? It actually, it would be better for someone just to come along and close the gates to the temple altogether. Just shut it down. If you're going to approach me with that mindset, just shut it down and don't bring anything at all. I wonder if we give worship to God with the same sort of attitude at times that we give our money to the IRS. How many of you gave a check this year to the IRS and you decorated it with kind notes and hearts, right? And wrote to them a thank you for all they have done for you in your life. No, at least I didn't, right? I grumbled, probably. I complained. How many of us give our lives our time, our money, our energy with the same spirit that we give to the IRS. So we say, you know what? Hey, look, I'm a busy guy or girl. But God, you know what? Out of the kindness of my heart, I will give you one hour, at least two to three Sundays a month. But, but if I don't like the song that Kenny does, I'm, I'm not going to sing right? We stand and lift up our hands for the joy of the Lord is our strength, right? How many of us approach God with that attitude? I, again, I'm as guilty and susceptible as anyone in the room. And God says, no, you're missing it. Here's why. Because life is found in knowing me. And so all you're doing is you're holding yourself back from a life of joy from a life of blessing, of knowing God, of reflecting God, of being able to see how great he is and how much he is worth, and then communicating that to the world around. So what does acceptable worship look like then? What is the worship that God is is longing for from us? What does that look like? Let me offer a few thoughts. Acceptable worship, first of all, gives God the best that we have. The first that we have. Second Samuel 24, 24. Some of you may be familiar with this passage. David goes to buy a, a threshing floor from this man named Arana. And he's buying it for the altar, right? He's buying it to build an altar for the temple. So David, King David goes to this guy, Arana, and he says, I'd like to buy your threshing floor. And Arana, he's a good guy. And he says, no, 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 no. Just, just take it. Just take the land. I will donate it to the temple. And here's what David says. And I love this. He says, no, I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord, which cost me nothing. He says, I will pay gladly for the joy of creating a space to worship God. 
And see, the issue is not that God needs that money that David gives, right? In fact, he doesn't. Arana was going to give the land. But David says, I need to give. Because it communicates my value and how much I recognize the value of worshiping God. And so again, my challenge for all of us is this. Go, go look at your schedule this week. What does it reflect about your priorities? Go look at your bank account. What does it reflect about your priorities? Think about your your talents and your energy, how and where you use them. Do you invest all of your energy and time in building your career, your reputation, your life, and give to God the dregs of whatever you have left over? And so acceptable worship says, I want to give God the best because God owns it all. God owns it all. Secondly, gives God what God wants first. This passage, Matthew chapter 22, verse 21, uh, again, a passage many of you will be familiar with. You remember um, somebody comes to Jesus and he says, hey, is it, is it right for us to pay taxes to Caesar, to pay the, the poll tax, the census tax to Caesar, right? So Jesus pulls out a, a Roman coin and he says, hey, look at it. Whose inscription is on the coin? They go, hey, that's, that's Caesar's, right? It's his face. It's his inscription. And Jesus says, well, then do this. You give to Caesar what is Caesar's, right? The money, Caesar can have it. You give to God what is God's, right? What is God's? You. You. What does God want? Not first and foremost, your money. He wants you. Not even first and foremost, your service or your time. He wants you. See, your your money, your service, your time, your energy, how you worship God with those aspects of your life is just a reflection of whether you are saying in your heart of hearts, whether I am saying in my heart of hearts, God, I'm yours. So I think all all too often we think, you know what? God is, is, he's really lucky to get my money or my time or my energy. We may not phrase it that way. But we may think it in our minds, you know what, I'm probably doing better than 90% of the people in, in here, right? I mean, you look around, you go, come on, I've got to be doing better than these people. I give some money. I show up. But God wants you. When I was a kid, we had this cat. The cat's name was Butterball. I don't know why we named her that, but... Uh, Butterball was this uh, calico cat, and she loved to run around the neighborhood and would periodically bring us offerings to our door. If you ever had a cat do this, you know. She would bring all manner of dead creatures that she found, snakes and rats and the occasional rabbit and things like that, and put it at our doorstep as if to say, I got this for you. Enjoy, right? But see, Butterball brought us things that Butterball liked, not that we liked. We had no use for it. And yet, and yet, I think maybe somewhere inside her little walnut-sized brain, there was this thought that I am giving them this because they're owed it, maybe. Maybe because she loved us. I don't really know. But she didn't give us what we wanted. She gave us what she wanted. 
As we look at the scripture, we see over and over, it seems to say, no, you you give God what God wants. And what God really wants is you. He wants to know you. He wants you to be a representative of him. So that when we worship him wholeheartedly, we communicate, God, I'm yours. And now I want the world to know that I'm yours and that you're worth it. And so acceptable worship gives God what God wants. Thirdly, it's motivated by love. 1 John 4, 19. Why do we love God? Because he first loved us. All right, we don't serve or give because we have to or because God will pay us back. All right, but it springs out of a heart of wonder and gratitude for what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. Because what did God do for us in Jesus Christ? He gave Jesus Christ, his only son, to die for us. Jesus gave, we sang it earlier, his whole heart to us and rose again so we can have eternal life. And so we, out of a response of love, we say, because God loved us first, I love God in return. And so our attitudes and our actions and our words and our thoughts are meant to reflect the love we have for Jesus Christ. So acceptable worship does these things. It gives God our best, gives God what God wants, and is motivated by love. Ultimately, as as Malachi wrote this passage, here's what he's reminding the people of that they had forgotten. And it is this. It's not just that lazy worship is unacceptable. They had forgotten this, that worshiping God is a privilege. Worshiping God is a privilege. Let me read verses 11 through 14. It says, For from the rising of the sun, even to its setting, my name will be great among the nations. And in every place, incense is going to be offered to my name and a grain offering that is pure. For my name will be great among the nations says the Lord of hosts. But you are profaning it in that you say, the table of the Lord is defiled, and as for its fruit, its food is to be despised. You also say, my, how tiresome it is. And you disdainfully sniff at it, says the Lord of hosts. And you bring what was taken by robbery and what is lame or sick. So you bring the offering. Should I receive that from your hand, says the Lord? But cursed be the swindler who has a male in his flock and vows it, but sacrifices a blemished animal to the Lord. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name is feared among the nations. Now it says, my name is great and it's a privilege to worship and yet you, you, you sniff at it. All right, sometimes we, we take our privileges for granted, don't we? So yesterday, just yesterday, uh, our middle child, my 10-year-old daughter, decided she wanted to learn how to mow the lawn, right? So I got her out there with the lawn mower, and uh, she, you know, learned kind of how to push it around, and I took this picture of her, and she's just smiling as broad as she can be, right? Now, I have a very similar picture of myself at the very first house that we lived in, mowing my own lawn for the very first time with my own lawn mower, and I have a big smile on my face. However, If you catch me out there on any given Saturday in August, that smile is long gone, ladies and gentlemen. Because I do not weakly feel that it is a privilege to get out in the heat and mow the lawn. You know why? You know what I've forgotten? I'm mowing the lawn because I have a house. 
I'm mowing my lawn because I have a yard. I can mow my lawn because I'm strong enough and healthy enough to get out on the lawn and mow the lawn. I have a body that works. Every aspect of me mowing my lawn communicates privilege, 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 privilege. And you know what I do? I look at it and I go, nuisance, 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 nuisance. That's what happens in our worship. When I was in seminary, I, I, I wrestled with the same feelings all the time. So I'm, I'm in school to learn the Word of God, to preach God's Word. I'm at a school where day after day I get to hear from God's Word, and yet I would, I would complain because it was expensive and it was hard. So I was in one of those moods one week, kind of feeling complainy and grumbly about everything going on in seminary. And one of my profs got up. She happened to be on the admissions committee. And she said, I want to read you a letter that we got from an incoming student from Africa. I don't remember what specific country he was from. I'm not sure she told us. She said, I want to read you this letter. And a couple of years ago, I actually asked her to send me the text of this letter. Here is the letter from this incoming student. It says, greetings in the name of our Lord Jesus. My wife and I are still trusting the Lord for a scholarship from Dallas Seminary to enable me to enroll this next school year. Our village was attacked by rebel forces and we lost everything we had. I would appreciate were you to email a photocopy of my letter of acceptance from DTS. Kindly consider my request. My letter of acceptance got missing when some unknown gunmen stayed in my home after we ran away from home. And sincerely, whoever the student was. All of a sudden, what I saw as drudgery and a nuisance I realized was a massive privilege and it changed my perspective. God says to the Israelites, look, my name is great. My name will be great among the nations from the rising of the sun to the setting of the sun. That is from as far as you can see one way to as far as you can see the other way in all the earth among all the nations because I am the God who created you. I am the God who saved you. I am the God who brought you out of Egypt and has provided everything for you. And so to worship me is a privilege. And yet they snorted and sneered at it. Because I think they believed, look, maybe, maybe God needs our worship more than we need God. And they didn't realize the privilege that worship is. So, so let me ask again this question. When we, when we come in to worship God, what kind of spirit and attitude do you come with? Right? I realize that there's probably a 50% chance that last night or this morning you had a fight with your spouse either getting ready to go to church or on the way to church. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, right? But I know you're there. And so by the time you get here, you go, ah. All right, but see, the worship that you participate in, you say, what, what, what I really need is for my family not to be such jerks. That's what I need, right? I don't need to be here and singing these songs. I need them to be nicer. Right, but, but, but see, I, I think what, what Malachi would say to us is this. If you want to know God and experience what he can do in your family, you got to drop to your knees and worship. You need to know him. If you want to know God, if we want to know God and experience what he can do in our community, we need to drop to our knees and worship. 
with a pure and whole heart. Because that's where life is found. The nation of Israel had drifted toward apathy and we are tempted to drift toward apathy. Another of my favorite stories from the Old Testament is from 2 Samuel chapter 6. As the Ark of the Covenant was recovered from being captive by the Philistines, being captured by the Philistines, right? They were bringing it back into Jerusalem. And King David is going before the Ark of the Covenant and he begins to dance before the Lord. And he's wearing just a a linen ephod, kind of like a linen sort of undergarment, but he's dancing in joy before the Lord. And his wife, Michal, sees him and it says she despises him in her heart. Why? Because it was embarrassing to her. It was undignified. And she says, you, you, you made yourself sarcastically, right? You made yourself look so good in front of all of the maidens who are around and all the people who are around dancing half naked before God. And David says, you know what? I'll be more lightly esteemed than this and I will be humble in my own eyes. But it was before the Lord that I was dancing because he saw the value of worship. And he said, that's where joy is found in communing with God in giving to God the best of my energy, the best of my time, the best of my money and resources. And so David worshiped and understood the privilege. God says to the people here in Malachi, he says, look, I will be worshiped even if it means I have to go to other people, to the Gentiles. So they will realize worship is a privilege. And so the question for us is, do we recognize that worship is a privilege. What, what essentially God has said is, I want you to participate within, with me in all the joy of knowing me, all the joy of life with me, all the joy of communicating to the world around us that life is found in me. Do we believe that it's a privilege or do we treat it with disdain? A number of years ago for my birthday, uh, Shannon made for me a homemade pie, this, this crust recipe that she got from her grandmother. It was a blackberry pie. And uh, I mean, it, it was, it's just a beautiful, beautiful, wonderful pie that she made that I asked. She said, do you want anything for your birthday? I said, I would just, I would like a blackberry pie. Really, that's it. Like, I'll be happy if you make that. So she made it and I saw it and I was so excited about it. And then I found out she had, she had invited some other people over um, <laughs> for my, for my birthday. And uh, right, it's not that I don't like people. It's just that I knew I was going to have to share it, right? So they were going to come over and I was going to have to pretend that I wanted them to eat some of the pie, right? So they come over and, you know, so I'm sharing it. And, and, and fortunately, they were, they were very, very gracious. But, you know, I was thinking in my mind, what if they had come over and I said, here's, this is, I want you to share this with me. Like, I want you to share this slice of, of life with me. And they looked at it and they said, Ah, it doesn't look that great. Well, then get out of my house, right? And I will eat the pie, right? We don't need a party. What if they had been ungrateful? Right, here's, what, here's what God says. Look, I've given you life. I've given you eternal life. I've given you all that I could give you to redeem you from sin and from death. So come on, come on, share, share life with me. And Malachi says, look, God has, has given you all of this. And you go, ah, doesn't look that great. 
I have other things to do with my money, with my time, with my energy. Malachi tells the people, no, you're missing it. This is the greatest privilege you could have to know and worship God. So let me close with just a few thoughts of how can we restore the joy of worship in our lives. Let me offer a few quick thoughts. The first one is this. Remember the gospel. Remember the gospel. Rehearse to yourself every day, more than once a day. This is what God has done for me. As Ephesians 2 tells us, I was dead. I was dead in my transgressions and sins. But God in his mercy pulled me out. So I belong to him. He owns me, and rightly so. Because of Jesus Christ. And evoke in yourself the wonder of all God has done for us in Jesus Christ. Remember the gospel. Second, examine your life. Are you grateful? Do you begin the day and end the day with gratitude? For all God has given. And then consequently do I say, God, I want to give you the best of my time. I don't know where the best of your time is. I don't know if that's at five in the morning or at midnight. But do I give God the best of my time, the first of my money and resources, the first of my energy and service and talents? Do I give God my best? And if not, then we say, God, forgive me. And ask the Spirit of God to change not not only what I do, but to change my heart. To to make the prayer, God, I want to value you more than anything in the world. So that, you know, it's as if we were sitting around that Christmas tree and I I take all of the acts of worship, service, giving that I'm going to give to God and I wrap it up. Right? What's inside? Did we walk into the room of our life and say, meh. I've got some stuff left over. And we say, God, look, everything I'm giving you, it, it came from you. It belongs to you. And so I will give the best that I have because you gave all that you have in Jesus Christ to save me. And so Spirit changed my heart to be a person of wholehearted worship. Would you pray with me? Father, we are so grateful for this morning and we are grateful for your word. But really, most of all, we are grateful for Jesus Christ. We ask that you would forgive us because all of us at times, and maybe even for long times, we are, we are lazy and we are cheap. And Father, we toss you the leftovers and the dregs. Maybe because we, we don't really remember and understand that you own all of it. Father, I pray that nothing we do would be some sort of ritualistic exercise to try to curry your favor, because we know we already have your favor through Jesus Christ. But instead, all that we do in worship with our lives would be a response to the gospel. So, Father, I pray that you'd change our hearts to value you above all and to worship you in a way that honors you and your son, Jesus Christ. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful week.